you find your place in the gospel according to Mark chapter 11, I'm going to preach a, a passage this morning that uh, is in keeping with the season. I don't always do that, but I just felt led to do that this morning. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage of Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered, in it, entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no man has set. Loose it and bring it. Verse 3, And if anyone say to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before those before and those who followed cried out saying Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the king of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest father we thank you this morning that your word has been fulfilled Lord and everything in it that you have foretold will be fulfilled God, we can only look back at history, God, and see the prophetic words spoken thousands of years in advance that Jesus fulfilled in minute detail. And God, that alone, if nothing else, convinces me that everything else that you have said you will do, you will do. And God, we look forward to those things with great encouragement this morning. So Lord, I pray this morning as I expound on your word, Father, that you would just open the hearts of the hearer and to hear what you say, Lord. God, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to come and help me today, God. In Jesus' name, I bind every spirit that is contrary to what you are wanting to do here today. In Jesus' name, you are bound. You have no place here. Only the Holy Spirit of God is welcome in this place now. In Jesus' name, amen. We look at this, what we call the triumphant entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And if we don't really understand Jewish history and biblical history, we wonder what is the deal? What was all the excitement about when they see a guy come riding into the city on a donkey? And to understand that, we have to look at biblical history and see uh, what their, uh, their history had foretold and the culture that, they are, that we're dealing with here. And what we come to understand is that for a very, very long time, the Jewish people have waited for this moment. It's been 5, 000, over 5,000 years since God had foretold in the Garden of Eden when he cursed the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between thee and between the woman and between thy seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head or crush your head. And in that prophecy, God is saying there is coming one 
that is going to destroy the works of Satan. Over 5,000 years, they have been waiting for that person to show up. Now, Satan knows there's one coming that is going to destroy me and my works. And so what we see through Jewish history is everyone that came on the scene that posed a threat to him was killed. Or they were tempted in some way to sin because Satan knew, just like Adam and Eve, once they've sinned, they can no longer, they're no longer a threat to me. He deceived Adam and Eve. He deceived every single person throughout all of history. The Bible, in fact, says that there is none that has done good. No, not one. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Satan, in essence, has deceived every single person. And even those that he thought just might be the one. Because there's many prophetic images of who Jesus would be. One of those is Joseph. When the children of Israel was, was about to starve, God sent them a Savior in the person of Joseph. But even Joseph was not the one. Later on, when they were in bondage in Egypt, God sent another type of Christ in the person of Moses. I did a whole series on the life lessons that we can learn from the life of Moses, spiritual lessons. But Moses was not the one. Then he saw all of the different judges, Deborah, Samson, Jephthah, Ehud, all of those. He deceived every one of them. Then all of the kings come on the scene. Each one, one by one, Satan would discredit them, make, lead them into sin. All of the prophets, even if he didn't make them stumble and fall, he killed them. In fact, in, in Peter's message and Stephen's message, he accused the Pharisees of killing all of the prophets of God. This has all been the work of Satan. Now, for over 600 years, they have been taken into bondage. They were taken by the Babylonians, taken by the Assyrians into captivity. So here's a people that have been slaves for over 600 years. Kind of got to get your mind wrapped around the scene here. That's longer than this country has been a nation. Do you understand? They've been slaves as long as we have been a free country and longer. So you can understand what they wanted was to be free. They wanted to be free from the oppression of the Roman people. And so now they're seeing this scene take place. They're, they're not really taking into consideration who this man is. For example, they don't realize that he was born of a virgin. They don't really know that. They don't know that he was the one that was born in Bethlehem when all the children were killed in that city, trying to kill the promised king. They don't understand that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, according to prophecy, to be the forerunner of Christ. They don't understand and know that the wise men came and this is actually the baby that they came and brought gifts to and bowed and worshipped him. They don't know any of that. What they do know is that some really good things has been going on in this man's life. For three years they've been hearing reports about what this man has done. They know that he's called a Nazarene which prophecy said that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. So he comes from Nazareth. They know that. They know that he's healed many people, which Isaiah prophesied that he would do. He would perform miracles. They know that he speaks in parables, which was also prophesied. 
for several years, years now, they've heard. Just imagine now, you're two Jewish guys, and you're walking along talking, and you're like, man, did you hear about that guy named Jesus? No, man, what about him? Dude, he spit on the ground and put it in a guy's eyes that was blind, and he could see. No. Yeah, man, I was there. I saw it. For real? Yeah. Another time, man, some guys ripped the roof off of a man's house and let a, a paraplegic man down on a bed, and he touched him, and the guy got up and walked. Get out of here. No, I'm serious, man. He did all of that. He laid hands on the guy's ears. It was death, and he could hear. You remember that guy in the Gadarenes that lived in the graves that was demon-possessed? Yeah, yeah. The one that ripped all of his clothes off. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, man, one time I saw him put chains on him, and he broke the chains like they weren't even there. Yeah. You know what Jesus did? No, what did he do? Man, he walked up, and that guy started screaming at him. And Jesus said, who are you? And the demon spoke out of that man and said, we are legion, for we are many. Have you come, thou son of David, to cast us into the dry places of the earth? Cast us not into those places, but into the herd of swine. And you know what Jesus did? Oh, man, what did he do? He cast those demons out of that man into those swine. He went to town, this guy, and put his clothes on and led the whole city out to meet Jesus in his right mind. Man, that's some serious stuff. Yeah, you remember that lady? That lady, you know, she, she'd been bleeding for 12 years. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. And I was there, and I watched her push her way through the crowd against the law for her to even touch anybody. But she fought her way through. And dude, when she touched the hem of that man's garment, she was healed by the power that came from him. Not only that, but Jesus was walking right beside Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, who had the authority to put her to death because she had defied the law and come in contact with other people. He had come to Jesus and said, My daughter is laying at the point of death, but I know that if you will come and lay your hands on her, she will be made whole. You know what? Jesus didn't say a single word. He just turned around and started following the man. And as they was walking through, and this lady touched him, she was healed. And you know that didn't any more than happen. And then somebody came from Jairus' house and said, Don't bother the master any further. Your little girl is dead. No, did he? Yeah. What did Jesus do? You know, he looked at him and said, Fear not, only believe. And when they got to the house, you could hear all these people. They were crying and mourning over this little dead girl. And Jesus walked in and said, She's not dead. She's just asleep. And they started yelling at him and screaming at him. No, man, really? Yeah. What did he do? He told them to shut their mouth and get out of the house. <laughs> he walked in and he took that little girl by her hand and said, little girl, get up. She opened her eyes and stood up. For real? Come on, man. No, I'm serious. She did. She really wasn't dead, man. Come on, really? Was she dead or just asleep? Well, I don't know for sure. They said she was dead, but I can tell you one thing I do know. He went to another guy's place. He was in a tomb for four days, wrapped in, 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 in burial clothing. The guy was stinking. 
And he stood outside of his tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. Did you hear about that? No, man. Not only that, but I was talking to one of his disciples the other day. And you know what this guy did? Man, he told them to get in a boat and go to the other side. He went up on the mountain and just started praying and praying and praying. And at midnight, he decided to join them. And they're out there and the wind is blowing and they can't get anywhere. They're fighting against the wind. And all of a sudden, they looked and they saw something white coming across the sea. Really? What was it? Was it a boat? No, man. It was Jesus, and he was walking on the water. Are you serious? I'm serious. And he told one of the disciples to get out and walk on the water, and he got out and he walked on the water. Man, this guy is something. Another time that disciple told me they was in a ship and it was about to capsize. Jesus is over there asleep. And they go to him and say, don't you care that we're about to die? Said he woke up and said, what is the matter with you? Don't you have any faith? And he got up and, and he commanded the wind and the sea to be calm. And it became like a sheet of glass. And they said, who is this man that even the wind and the sea obeys his voice? You see, this is the kind of talk that has been going on for almost three years to a people that have been in bondage for 600 years who have been waiting for 5,000 years for this man to show up. And even though they may not be sure that he's the guy, he certainly could be. And then it happened. Here he comes riding into town on a donkey. So the guy says, you know what else he did? No, what? He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He didn't. No, I'm telling you, he did. You see, they understood, and Brother uh, uh, Brian read it this morning. I want to read it again. Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the end of the earth. That prophecy covered from the time that Jesus rode into Jerusalem for several thousand years. Part A was fulfilled the day he rode into Jerusalem. Part B is going to be fulfilled when he comes back and sets up his millennial, literal, physical kingdom on this earth. And the Bible says that every eye will see him on that day and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the saints will come and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. <laughs> and I get to help him. Hallelujah. And so do you. Amen. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, he says, you are the saints. That's what it means to be sanctified. And you will come back and rule and reign with him. Isn't that exciting? 
You see, they are looking that when the king rides into Jerusalem on the donkey, he is coming to establish his kingdom and to bring peace to Jerusalem and set up his kingdom from sea to shining sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So here he comes after all the things that he's done and he has the audacity to ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. They knew what that meant. Now, what I want to focus on this morning is what happened after this. I titled the message, After the Party's Over. What happens after the party is over? When all the thrill is gone, all the crowd is left, they turn the lights off, the band is left, the music is stopped, the fair is left town. Huh? It's the end of vacation, theme parks are closed, Super Bowl celebration is just a distant memory. All the things that excite us, what happens when the fun stops? It's all over, and the only thing that is left is just life. And it's disappointing. What do you do then? There's a word for this. It's called anticlimactic. <laughs> it's when something turns out to be far less meaningful or exciting than we had hoped for. It's when we build up to that wow moment. And then after it's all over, we're sitting around saying, that was it? Really? I mean, you've seen some movies like that. They're like just a huge disappointment. How many of you remember Alfred Hitchcock movies? Huh? They were always like that. I didn't watch but a few, but I remember watching this one, and I'm like, you never know how the stupid thing is going to end. And it never ends like you want it to. It's always a letdown. It's a disappointment. So here he is in their mind to set up the kingdom. I mean, he rode the donkey. He is the Nazarene. He's spoken parables. He's healed the sick. He's walked on water. He's done all of these things. Now he's riding into the kingdom. He's going to establish it. This is what they expect. His disciples, they're, they're like, this is it. This is it. This is what we have been waiting for. Yes. He's going to ride the donkey in. He's going to go to the temple. He's going to leave there, and he's going to go to Pilate's palace. He's going to cut his throat, and he's going to kick the Romans out. And he's going to bring peace from sea to shining sea, set up his kingdom from here to the ends of the earth. And we are going to have a party that's going to last for eternity. This is what they're expecting. They're thinking, now, didn't he say, come on, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Here it is. This is it. Yes. And they are so excited until he's arrested. Now the party's over. Crowd's gone. Band is packed up, left, turned the lights off. Music is stopped. And they're sitting there disappointed. Is this what we have waited for for 5,000 years? This? That's it? We have been in bondage for 600 years waiting for this? They're expecting him to establish his kingdom. 
You have to understand the setting here. Why are they waving the branches? See, the flag of David that we see over Jerusalem now is not really the sign of Zionism. It was the palm branch. And during the Roman Empire, they knew this. This was a, this was a coup d'etat in the eyes of the Romans. They're waving the palm branches, laying blankets in his way. They are saying, this is the king of the Roman Empire now. Not only that, he's the king of the whole world. This is a very bold thing, and you've got to understand the mindset that they're in. They are at a crescendo right now, believing that it, it has finally come. We know this because of the book of Acts. After Jesus has rose from the dead and he's back with him, he said this in verse 3. Let's see, let's verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptizes with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days thence. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, that's what they're thinking. It's like when this happened and he was arrested, they're like, oh, this is it? And then suddenly he raises from the dead. He's back with them. And they're in Jerusalem. He says, y'all wait here till we send the promise of the Father. And they're like, that guy, that guy, he got us. He tricked us. Now he's going to set up the kingdom. And so they say, okay, Lord, okay. The joke's on us. But are you now at this time going to set up your kingdom? So we know that's what they're thinking. But before all of this, they're just sitting there. They don't know he's going to raise from the dead. They're thinking the kingdom has come. And now suddenly he's arrested. He's being beaten. He's going to be crucified. And all their hopes are dashed. Because their whole deal is what they thought this thing should be like. And what they wanted it to be like. And when it didn't work out, what did they do? I want to take just a minute and we're going to look at what happened after the party was over. I'm going to look at three men this morning. The first one was the one that was called the beloved of Christ. His disciple named John. John represents the people that are always faithful. You know, some people come into the, the, the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ and they're just faithful from then till the day they die. Now, I wasn't one of those, I'm sad to say, but some people are. And it seems like nothing that happens seems to shake them. Their life is defined by the words devotion, steadfastness, faithfulness, commitment, dedication. And so John was like that. He faced all of the same things that everybody else faced when Jesus was arrested. He could have been arrested. He could have been beaten. He could have been put to death. But unlike the other disciples, he did not run away. He was the only one that stayed by Jesus' side throughout the whole crucifixion. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looked at John and said, Behold my mother. In other words, take care of my mom. <clears throat> and so he stayed through it all. You see... Part of the problem that we have with the message of Christianity today, it, it, it was it, something happened at the turn of the century. 
the 1900s. And we got away from, from teaching the law of God, which is the schoolmaster that brings us to grace. Paul said, I had not known what grace was, but by the law. And somehow the church got away from that and started teaching a, a, a life enhancement message. The message became, you have a God-sized vacuum in your life. And if you will come to Jesus, he will fill that void in your life and he will give you, he will give you peace and joy and lasting happiness. And so people buy into that message and when they come to Christ, instead of having peace and joy and lasting happiness, they have trials and tribulations and struggles. They feel discontented and disappointed. It's like this party you promised me is over. This is not what you promised me at all. So instead of staying the course, many times they, like the other disciples, run away. But John wasn't like that. No matter what the struggle, he's facing the same struggles that Mary and everybody else is facing. The same threats that they're facing. His heart is broken. He's sorrowful. He's disappointed. He thought that the kingdom of come just like everybody else. But even though it didn't work out the way he thought, it didn't work out the way he wondered and hoped for, he still stayed the course. Some people are like that. I married a woman like that. At 16 years of age, she gave her heart to Christ. I've known the woman for 41 years. I have never seen her stumble in her faith ever one time. I, I just wish I had the courage and the steadfastness that she has. And she's not perfect. I mean, there's times that she does things that she could do better, and uh, don't we all? Amen? There's nobody perfect. Nobody that, the Bible says none of us even do good. No, not one. I told you I've been reading about Reinhard Bunke and studying his life. At age 10, he was called to be a missionary in Africa. He's never, he's never stopped. I mean, it's been full speed ahead for over 50 years in his life. I mean, that's an amazing testimony that this man has the steadfastness of this man. And there's thousands and millions of Christians that they're like John. They're faithful. They're just dedicated and committed. But there are many others that are the op polar opposite of that. While John was receptive to the message of the gospel, others are rebellious against it. Another one of the disciples was Judas. John was the faithful. Judas was the rebellious. He was an apostate. The word apostate comes from the Greek word apostasia. It means a rebellion and an abandonment or breach of faith. There's actually two forms of apostasy. One is a falling away from key and true doctrines of the Bible into heretical teachings that proclaim to be, quote, the real Christian doctrine. And all these that attended, they, they attended the same party, but some of them, they just had different conclusions. See, Judas is looking at this thing from the eyes of a zealot. Simon the zealot and Judas also was a zealot. He, his whole deal was not to bring peace and love and joy and turning the other cheek and all that good stuff to the earth. No, he wanted revenge. He wanted to set up the kingdom and crush the Roman Empire. So he had the wrong heart. He, he's hearing the same message as John, but he's arriving at an entirely different conclusion. He is mixing his ideas this happens in Christianity today. 
People bring distorted ideas into the Christian doctrine and the Christian belief system, and they form all kind of different offshoots and cults and denying Christ and denying the resurrection and denying the Trinity and different mainstream doctrinal teachings. And so we see people, because of that, they become apostate. They leave the true doctrines of the faith. The book of Jude warns us about this. Jude verse 3, it says, Beloved, while I was diligent to write to you concerning the common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting to contend earnestly for the faith. That word contend, it's a compound verb, which it actually means to agonize for the faith. It's also a present infinitive form, which means it is a continuous struggle. When he says you contend for the faith, what he's saying is you're never going to stop fighting for the faith. It is a constant, continuous battle throughout your whole life. And we're fighting for the souls of men. We're fighting for our own souls. Judas made it clear that this fight is not just for leaders. It's for everybody. So he says, beloved, contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Verse 4. Who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That word crept in, the word crept in the Hebrew there, in the Greek, it's only found here. Nowhere else in the whole scripture is that word found. And what it means is to slip in sideways, to come in stealthily, to sneak in, hard to detect. In other words, Satan will make a deception and a lie look so close to the truth that it's very hard to detect it. That's why Jesus told us, in Tim Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2.15, you need to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Brother, we need to, you know how they teach you to recognize a counterfeit bill in the banking system? They don't show you a counterfeit. They show you how to recognize the real thing. And if you get familiar with what the real bill looks like, when a counterfeit shows up, you know it right away. Let me tell you something. When you really have an encounter with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, you need to study His Word, first of all, but you also need to be very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit because He will give you discernment. Brother, when something doesn't feel right, you need to back up and take another look at that. You need to trust that inner witness in your heart. Amen? Come on, somebody. You need to trust that. Not everything that shines is gold. And you need to take a good look at that and how everything, it doesn't matter who's preaching, what they're saying, I measure it by the plumb line of God's holy word. And brother, if it doesn't line up with that, it hits the reject button. I don't accept it unless it lines up with the scripture. In, in, in context, A.W. Tozer said, So skilled is error at imitating truth that the two are constantly being mistaken for each other. It takes a sharp eye these days to know which brother is Cain and which one is Abel. A.W. <laughs> Tozer, he had some sayings out there. And it's sad. I've seen people who were very strong in the faith walk away from the faith. And go into deception. And it's, it grieves your heart. And they've, they've believed a mixture of God's word. 
But the, the most common meaning of the word apostasy means a rebellion, an abandonment, and a breach of faith. This is the case in the case of Judas. He completely renu renounced the Christian faith, which was a result, in result was a full abandonment of Christ. Th this is sad to see. Somebody that had, they, I mean, they are at the party with you. They're seeing the Messiah come in. They've had the same experience that you've had, heard the same gospel that you've heard. But something happens and it doesn't turn out the way that they thought it would. And they just walk away. Julie, I don't mean to ruin this for you. Where are you at? Wave at me. She's reading that book. She said, stop telling stories about Reinhard Bunke's book. I'm reading it and you're ruining it for me. <laughs> He's got lots of them in there, so I'm going to ruin one for you. You finished it? All right, good. He was at a meeting, and, and in Africa, there's no power. It's a generator, all right? And they're out in the middle of nowhere. They shut the generator off. He's the last one there. This big tent set up. He's in the field all by himself. It's pitch dark. He said he couldn't see his hand in front of his face. He's just listening to the orchestra of crickets, breathing in that air and saying, Africa shall be saved. I'm believing you for a blood-washed Africa. 72 million people he has led to the Lord at present date. 72 million souls. And he said he got in his car and he drove off and the 17-year-old boy jumped out in front of him waving his arms. So he stopped the car, he rolled down the window and out of respect he would not approach the window. And he said, Marudi Bande. Marudi is an African word showing respect. Marudi Bande. I got saved tonight in your, in your tent meeting. I want you to lay hands on me and to pray for me. And he said, even though he was totally exhausted from preaching under the anointing, he said he got a resurgence of energy. Got out of the car. He said, what is your name? He said, my name is David. I received Christ tonight. I want you to pray for me to receive the baptism of the Spirit. Reinhard Bunke laid his hands on him, and he said, the power of God hit that young man. He just began to shake under the power of God. Prayed for him, got back in his car, and drove away. He watched his figure disappear in his taillights as he drove off. Some months later, he heard that revival was breaking out in the tribes to the north, that a boy was preaching the gospel. Several years later, he was in a conference, and a young man came up to him and says, Do you remember me, Marudi Bunky? He said, What is your name? He said, I'm David. He said, Yes, you're the one. I prayed for you in the field. He said, Let me tell you what happened. I walked all night to get back to my home. Early the next morning, I arrived home and I was walking into the village and I saw a lady that I knew very well and I could hear her crying. The year before, one of her children had died from the fever. And so I went up and out of respect, they, they would call elderly women or married women, they would call a mother, especially a young man that wasn't married. He said, Mother, what is wrong? And she turned around and he saw that she was holding her four-year-old child, her other child that was burning up with a fever, and he could see that it was dying. And even though it was against their custom, he said, Can I pray for your baby, Mother? She said, Oh, yes, please, anything. He laid his hands on the baby and began to pray. And suddenly the baby said, Mama, I'm hungry. Mama, I'm thirsty. And she put him down and the baby started running and playing. She picked the baby up, ran into the village, and told the chief what had happened. He ran out to David, said, David, come to my house. He said, Marudi, this is a great honor. I had never been to the chief's house. 
And I came in and his daughter was laying there and her legs were twisted from birth. He said, I want you to pray for my daughter. He said, I laid my hands on her and prayed for her. And we could hear a popping sound. And we looked and her legs were straight and she got up and walked. He brought the whole village. And I began to preach to them. And people were being saved and people were being healed by the power of God. Reinhardt said, but David, you've never been to Bible college. What did you preach? He was afraid that he was mixing ancestral worship with the gospel, which was common. He said, I preach what you preached the night at the tent meeting. He said, well, if you're praying that, if you're preaching that, then you're preaching the right thing. Well, some years later, Reinhardt did a fire conference. The fire conference is is specifically for evangelists to equip them to help them to tool them to teach them and he sent his workers said go to the northern tribes and find David I want to give him a full ride we're going to put him up we're going to feed him we're going to pay for the conference everything I want to equip that young man to be a better evangelist they came back and said we have some sad news Reinhardt says we couldn't find him but we found people that knew about him said David because he saw so much hypocrisy and people withstood the gospel and disappointing things happened to him he has now cursed God and has become a drunk and we don't know where he is he said to this day he has never found him although he got in a car he went himself and drove and drove and drove and looked for David you see sometimes we can we can go to the same party hear the same gospel but when things don't turn out the way that we think they should the way that we hoped they would. Sometimes we can become apostate and walk away from God. The third person that I want to look at, the last one, was a person that was repentant. His name is Peter. Peter was one of God, one of Jesus' favorite disciples. In fact, he told him that he wanted him to take care of his sheep after he was gone. But Peter told, when he told them, said that I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be crucified. Peter rebuked him and said, no, Lord, you can't do that. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You know not what spirit you are of. Now this, this guy, unlike all the other disciples, he was the only other person ever to live to walk on water. You understand what I'm saying? He left everything to follow this man. The Bible said he had a fishing industry. He didn't just have a boat with a net. He had an industry. He walked away. He forsook his nets and followed Christ. He had the opportunity to follow a rabbi, which was a great honor. He was with the disciples when Jesus sent them out two by two. And he came back and said, this is incredible. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. They cast out demons. That is a, that's an amazing thing. And Jesus said, rejoice not that the demons are subject to your name. I watch Satan cast out of heaven like lightning from the sky. Nevertheless, in this rejoice not, but rejoice rather that your name is written in heaven. He walked on the water. He, he was the one that Jesus said, who do men say that I am? They said, some say you're Elias. Some of you say one of the other prophets. He said, well, who do you say that I am? It was Peter that said, you are the Christ, 
So see, there's no question as to whether or not Peter knew who he was. He said, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the one that was promised. You're the one we've been waiting for. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So this is the man that God has revealed that Jesus is actually the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for. But Peter was not just the one that denied him. He represents every person, all of the disciples, everyone who has had an encounter with God and then walked away. They're looking at the same party. They're experiencing the same thing. And the church world today is full of people just like Peter. They're disappointed. Things didn't work out like they wanted. They were promised peace and joy and lasting happiness. Instead, they got struggles and trials and tribulation. Each one of these people, when they walk away as Peter did, I have to wonder if it doesn't come echoing back to their mind. I'm, I'm thinking of Peter, you know. It said he went out and he wept bitterly. I have to wonder if he was remembering the things that Jesus taught them. He remembered the story about a man that had two sons. And one of them became a prodigal and went out and ate with the pigs. I believe Peter was there thinking, and I'm eating with the pigs now myself. In closing, I want to recite the words of a song. And I think this is something that Peter must have felt when Jesus walked into the room. You know, the Don Francisco, I, I've quoted his, his work before. One of my favorite singers from the 70s. <laughs> telling my age now. He, he tells a song about, G, about, Steve, about Peter being in the upper room and hearing the sound of soldiers' feet and all that. And <clears throat> but suddenly Jesus steps into the room with his arms held open wide. And the, the lyrics of the song said, And I fell down before him and clung to him and cried. Then he raised me to my feet and looked into my eyes. Love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies. All my doubt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release. Every fear I ever had just melted into peace because he's alive. But before that happened, I'm just, I mean, as that happened, I just wonder if he felt like the prodigal when the father ran back out to meet him. And, and listen to the words of this song. It says, I loved you long before your eyes first saw the day. And everything I've done has been to help you on the way. But you took all that you wanted, and at last you took your leave and traded off a kingdom for the lies that you've believed. And although you've chosen darkness with its miseries and fears, although you've gone so far from me and wasted all these years, even though my name has been spattered by the mire in which you lie, I'd take you back this instant if you'd turn to me and cry. You know, I don't know who this morning needs to hear those words. And it may be somebody that you've given a recording of this message to or somebody listening to it on the Internet. But the church world is full of people like Peter who have walked away from God, people like the prodigal. And what Jesus is saying is, if you would just turn around, 
I would take you back this instant if you'll just turn around. He says, I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. I've already gave my life to set you free. There's no sin you can imagine that is stronger than my love. And it's all yours if you'll come home again to me. You know, even Judas, who betrayed him with a kiss. The Bible says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus didn't just die for big sins. He died for little sins. He died for all sin. And there's no sin you can imagine that is greater than the love of Christ. He says, when you come back to your senses and you see who's been to blame, remember all the good things that were yours with just my name. Then don't waste another thought before you change the way you're bound. I'll be running out to meet you if you will only turn around because I don't care where you've been sleeping I don't care who's made your bed I've already gave my life to set you free there's no sin you can imagine that is stronger than my love and it's all yours if you'll come home again to me you stand your feet close your eyes please Sometimes the Christian walk is so hard. The life enhancement message tells you that if you come to Christ, you'll have peace and joy and lasting happiness. And you will have peace. You will have joy. You will have happiness. But the reality is you'll also have trials and tribulations and struggles. There'll be times that things don't work out the way that you thought they should, the way that you wanted them to. And it can be very disappointing and discouraging. when the exciting moment being in the presence of the Holy Spirit in a church service or some meeting is over the music stops the lights off the crowds are gone everybody's going home the party's over there's just life sometimes it's hard sometimes you feel let down sometimes you feel betrayed sometimes you're like David you saw hypocrisy in the church but what I can tell you is that Jesus stands at the door and knocks, he says. And if any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. So if you're here this morning, maybe you've wandered away from the Lord. Something that I've said has just touched a soft place in your heart. And today, you would like to recommit your life to Christ. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Would you please pray for me when you close in prayer this morning? I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 
2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.